let the church say amen. From the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi. Malachi chapter 1. Malachi chapter 1, focus on verse 6. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be father, where is mine honor? That's as far as I want to go. Where is my honor. If you say I'm your father, then why don't you honor me? And this is significant and it ties into what we are doing and ties into our final message of rebuilding walls it, it, because the people now are out of bondage. They're out of bondage and God has stepped in and made things all right. He's fixed things for them. They are back in their homeland. The, the, the temple is being rebuilt. The walls are back up. Yet even after all of that, God is having to ask them, where is my honor? Some of God's last words, these are some of God's last words to his people. And these words had to do with their lack of honor. His last words before he shut up for 400 years. After Malachi got through writing, nobody heard from God for 400 years. And his last words had to do, some of his last words had to do with the lack of honor that God's people had for him or with their failing to give him the honor that was due him. The book of Malachi is a book of warning, yet it is a book of hope. It's the last book in the Old Testament, and after the message, the Lord shut up and did not speak to the people anymore for 400 years. Written around 430 BC in Jerusalem. And the people of God, they have resettled now. They have resettled their condition. They've come back into their homeland and they've been there long enough now to become stagnant. They, they, they over time, they've been back home now. They are no longer in bondage. And uh, yeah, it don't, doesn't take long for people to grow complacent. It's amazing how happy we are when we first get delivered. It doesn't take long for us to fall right back into what we used to be. They, they had over time grown complacent and matter of fact, in some cases, even indifferent to the things of God. 
the dates of Malachi's writing would put him as a contemporary. He, he, he was a contemporary to Nehemiah and Ezra and all those others that, yeah, and, and uh, yeah, he was, yeah, Nehemiah, you remember, focused on rebuilding the wall and other prophets during that time were, were focused on preparing the people to live within the walls. But Malachi's message, like Ezra's, <coughs> was designed to instruct people. But in order to appreciate and uh, the challenge to these prophets, that, yeah, in order to appreciate where these prophets were during that particular time, you've got to understand the mindset of the people that they were dealing with. They were not dealing with people like prophets before them. The prophets before them were sharing good news of a Messiah to come. They were sharing, but these people were a little different to deal with. They were dealing with a people. Most of the people that they were dealing with, first of all, they were born in captivity. Y'all need to hear this. They, they were born slaves. They were born in captivity. They were enslaved when they were born. Not only that, they were disillusioned and discouraged and doubting people whose experience did not harmonize with their understanding of the promises that had been made by prophets earlier. They, they were disillusioned. They, you know, they, they, they were good about continually telling the story about the coming Messiah. They were good and they still are good at making sure that children understood the story. But how do you explain the goodness of God to somebody who was born in slavery? How do you explain the goodness of God and how God is awesome and how awesome God is to somebody who's struggling? Who's been struggling all, are y'all hearing me? All of their lives. They were taught these things, these awesome promises of a Messiah and a deliverer, yet all they saw was poverty, drought, and economic adversity. Y'all seeing this? The sound familiar? Spreading a message of the good news to people who've never experienced anything good in their lives. Spreading the good news to people who, who, who have always been down and been down so long. Are y'all hearing me? So these were the people. These people were disillusioned with God. They were disillusioned even with their faith in God. And for the most part, although the message of God had been passed down to them, their view of God was totally different than that of their parents. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? Yeah, yeah. although they've been told all the right things and they said all the stuff that had been handed down to them, their view of God was totally different than the view of their foreparents. In their minds, in their mind, they say, I hear what you say, but what kind of God would let us go through all of that? What kind, are y'all hearing me? We, we hear what you're telling us. We hear all the fantastic stories you're telling, but what kind of God would allow us to be treated so badly? That was their thinking. 
I don't know, I don't know, maybe, maybe it was because the whole story wasn't told. Maybe because while their parents were eager and quick to tell them about the goodness of God and how good God is and how God has always provided, just maybe they didn't talk enough about the reason why we are where we are. <laughs> are y'all hearing me? It's because we didn't do anything God says. The reason why we suffer like we suffer is not because of God, but because of us. Maybe they left that little part out. So maybe that's why their children had a hard time grabbing this God. So Malachi confronts a people who are skeptical of the promises of God. And not only are they skeptical, they are indifferent in their commitment to that God. Read the whole book. Read the whole book of Malachi. And, and, and you know, we rarely read the whole book of Malachi. We, somehow we get caught up in the tithe. <laughs> and that's about all we know <laughs> about Malachi. But, but if you read the whole book, you'll find out these folks, had a whole lot more going than not paying their tithe. They, they, these folks, they had a lot coming against the problem concerning the tithe and the offering were merely symptoms of an even larger problem. And that larger problem is that they had grown indifferent. They had grown complacent in their relationship with God. It ain't the tithe. It's that attitude. Y'all hear me? It's, it's how you feel about that's the problem right there. With them living for God and with them living for God had become somehow they had come back out of, out of bondage. They have come back. Things are beginning to happen just like they used to happen, just like their foreparents told them they would happen. And, and, but now they've been there long enough that stuff had just become ritual. So things now are based on ritual rather than relationships. We come back, we've been taught how to go to church, we've been taught what to do, we've been taught all of that, but nobody talked to us about a relationship. Are y'all hearing me? So now everything that we do is more ritual than it is relationship. In other words, they did what they did because they had been taught it and it was what they were supposed to do. And as a result, God was not pleased with either their sacrifice or their service. Note now, note now, they were regular in attendance at the temple. They were regular in their giving. Are y'all hearing me? But their attendance was without genuine joy or, or, or without genuine thanksgiving in their hearts. And although they brought their offerings to the Lord, what they offered the Lord was reflective, was not reflective of how good God had been to them. Are y'all hearing me? They were giving. They were giving. It's offering time. We're going to reach up in our pocketbooks and clean out our pocket. We're going to give some. But what we were giving was not reflective of what we say we love about God. Are y'all hearing me? 
oh, we were going through the process. It's offering time. We're going to come up with a dime, a dollar somewhere. Are y'all hearing me? Because we're supposed to march around and put something in there. We're used to that. But what they're giving is not reflective at all of how good they say God has been to them. question must be asked how did they get there how can the very people of God come to a place where they are complacent in worship how can the very people of God come to a point where they are slow in honoring God well got to look at the book in its context. So many times, so many times, you remember God has made a way for his people. So many times, God has made a way. You remember in the history of, the, of Israel, he, he brought them out of Egypt. They were in bondage. He brought them out. He led them through the wilderness. He fought their battles for them. And the latest thing that he had done was to, to deliver them from 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Are y'all hearing me? And when the captivity was over, they were allowed to go back to their homeland, Jerusalem. They came back to Jerusalem. A people, once they are set free, they've been in bondage, they've been slaves, and now they have been set free, and they are eager to worship God. They're eager to serve God. They went on rebuilding temple, restored the altar, even rebuilt the wall. The priests had a new and fresh commitment to carry out services. The people tithe and they're offering their sacrifices in accordance with the laws of Moses. Not only that, the prophet Haggai, Zechariah, they came through with a revival. So everybody now is full of hope at this point. They are just getting back. They are back. They are free. They got a new lease on life at this point. They are displaying a real commitment and love for God. But the problem is, and this, is a, this is a Haynes word, that was post-deliverance commitment. <laughs> I say that was post-deliverance commitment. Have you ever noticed how genuinely committed folk are right after they've been delivered. You ever notice that? You ever notice how happy folk are? You ain't got to beg them to do nothing. God done snatched them up out of something. Are y'all hearing me? Right after God comes through, right after God has worked it out, you don't have to beg them to do anything. You want to see real commitment and dedication. Find somebody who just been snatched out of hell. Are y'all hearing me? Find somebody who has just been delivered from a life-threatening illness. You can't beat them serving and worshiping God. Find somebody that's been delivered from an addiction. Find somebody who, who, who got that debt paid off that they couldn't pay by themselves. Find somebody that, 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 yeah, that's been in a mess that they couldn't get themselves out of. Are y'all hearing me? 
Oh, if God gets them out, they'll come up in here. They'll join the church. Join every organization in the church. Never miss a Bible study. Show up every time the door opens. But the problem with post-deliverance commitment is that it doesn't last long. The problem with that kind of commitment is that over time, it begins to wear off. You see, post-deliverance commitment and praising God after he's done something, anybody can do that. And there's nothing wrong with that. The only problem is it doesn't last. Doesn't last long. See, I've learned, I've learned, and the thing that I have fallen in love with and the thing that I have learned to appreciate is pre-deliverance praise. Are y'all hearing me? Oh, my brothers and my sisters, uh, I I admire that person who is still in trouble. That's when you know it's going to stay. That person who's still going through hell, yet they are blessing the Lord at all. Are y'all hearing me? That person uh, who can shout while they're still sick. Still don't know how God's going to work it out, but I say hallelujah anyhow. That's the kind of praise. By the time this book was written, Israel had been out of captivity for nearly a hundred years. A generation or two has passed and the initial enthusiasm of the deliverance has worn off. The people and the priest, people and the priest have grown cold in their worship and in their commitment. Somehow they had become sort of mechanical in their observance. Are y'all hearing me? In other, words, in other words, they gotten to the point where there wasn't no room for God and nothing. They, yeah, they, they were only concerned with what's on the program. Are y'all hearing me? Yeah, yeah, there was no room for God to do anything. They gotten sort of lax in worship and delinquent in their tithes and in their offerings. Their relationship with God had slipped into just a weekly commitment. That commitment to go to the temple. It's 11 o'clock, it's time to go to the temple. Their relationship with God had turned into that. The joy had disappeared from being able to go worship. Instead of looking forward to getting to the temple, they were looking forward to getting out get back to their chair and getting back to their eating place. y'all hear me instead of giving their best they gave their worst they gave God their leftovers what, what they had left after they had done everything else they wanted to do that their giving was to give God whatever was left bringing sacrifices when they would bring their gifts People were allowed to bring blind and crippled animals to be sacrificed on the altar 
instead of the choice flock that God requires. Look at it. They were unwilling worshipers. They were unwilling givers. They had come to such a place of indifference that it seemed that they were never on one accord with God. As a matter of fact, as a matter of fact, it seemed that as if, if God said one thing, they said the total opposite thing. That's why you need to read the whole book of Malachi. Look at, look at chapter 1, verse 2 and 3. This is, this is, this, these are the words of God. I have said, I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hath thou loved us? Look at chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. Your priest despised my name. Offering polluted bread. Yet ye say, wherein have we done that? Chapter 2, verse 10. Ye have profaned the covenant of your fathers. Yet ye say, wherein have we done that? Chapter 2, verse 17. Ye have wearied Jehovah with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? Chapter 3, verse 7. You have turned aside from my ordinances, but you say, wherein shall we return? When are we going, why are we going back to that? Look at chapter 3, verse 8. You have robbed me, yet ye say, where, where have we robbed thee? Y'all hear me say, it wasn't just one line. That, that's a whole book there. Yeah, yeah, you have robbed me, yet ye say, wherein have we robbed Chapter 3, verse 13. Your words have been stout against me, said Jehovah, yet ye say, what have I said against you? Y'all hear me? One of the first signs that a relationship is going bad is when one says one thing and the other saying something. So that's any relationship. One sign that is going bad is when you can't ever get on the same page. One saying one thing and whatever that one's saying, the other one is going to say the exact opposite. How can two walk together except they agree? These people, the people of God, had all but shut God out. They had become so complacent and that complacency manifested itself in an attitude that said anything is good enough for God. Y'all hear me? They had come to the point where they no longer saw him as high and lifted up. Their attitude is he ought to be glad I showed up. Are y'all hearing me? You do know there are folk who come to church and think they're doing God a favor. You do know that. They, they think that they're doing God a favor by showing up. And so the attitude is uh, whatever I give him. You ought to be glad I'm giving him. Are y'all hearing me? 
An attitude that says God yeah, ought to be glad that I have anything to do with him. It's an attitude. And brothers and sisters, I, 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 I want to stress that, that, that that's an attitude that the church in these times we have to overcome that attitude. Because in the times that we are living in, because we haven't talked like we should and because people have not grasped why we do what we do, yeah, we have an attitude that anything will do for God. Are y'all hearing me? Doesn't matter what I have on, and let me be the first to say, no, it doesn't matter what you have on, but it does matter what you think about God. Let me be the first to say that, no, you don't have to dress up to come to the house of God. Let me be the first to say that it ain't about clothes, but let me tell you, be the first to tell you also that it does matter how you view God. Whether or not you see him as high and lifted up. Are y'all hearing me? No, it ain't about the money. It ain't about the money. Let me be the first to tell you. No, it ain't about how much you give, but it does matter how much you think about God. Does matter how much you value God. That's why he said, will a man rob God? And when he asked that question, he's asking a loaded question there. Will a man rob God? That's a loaded question. We hear that question and we, we, we really don't think about what he's asking. We, 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 in our mind, we, we're thinking burglary or some other crime. But he specifically said, will a man rob? You see, Burglary, bur burglary is a, uh, that, that's a crime. If I'm going to commit burglary, I'll wait till everybody leaves and nobody sees me and I get it. Robbery is in your face. Y'all hear me? Robbery is stick them up. <laughs> Y'all hear me? And in order for me to commit a robbery, it means that I have sized you up. And I have concluded that I'm big enough to pull it off. Are y'all hearing me? I have concluded that I'm bigger than you, I'm stronger than you, and I can pull this thing off. Will a man rob God? Ain't about the money. But it's about a mindset that says I'm big enough. I'm big enough to pull it off. Yeah, will a man rob God? I say, yeah, every Sunday morning there are those that say, stick them up. <laughs> you heard me say this before. That's why we run over each other trying to get out of the parking lot. We're driving getaway cars. <laughs> will a man rob God sends his messenger to say to the people, I see that you're showing up at the temple in big numbers. Sends his prophet, his preacher to say, I, I see your mega churches. 
I, I see your extended ministry. I, I see you got me on, a, on the television now. I, I see that you made me on the internet and I see that, that, that you're texting and blogging and tweeting me. I see you taking up money by the trash can fool. I see people running, throwing down money at your feet. But I got one question. Where is my honor? Are y'all hearing me? Got one question. Where is my honor? Where is my, where is my reverence? Where are those who, who fear God? who have the right attitude toward God. Listen to God saying, a son honors his father and a servant honors his master. So if I'm your father, where is my honor? If I'm your master, where is my reverence, my fear? And please know, when we talk about the fear of God, we're not talking about a phobia. We're talking about awe. Y'all hear me? That's two things. So phobia is what we have, what I got for spiders. Phobia is that kind of thing. But when you're talking about a fear of God, that ain't the kind of fear. Fear of God is what we call awe. It's awe. Fear of God is what those fellows had on that ship when he spoke to the storm and said, peace be still. The Bible says that after he did that, after the winds and the waves got quiet, it said that they were already about half scared of him, but then they feared exceedingly. That, that ain't phobia, that's all. Are y'all hearing me? That's the proper kind of fear that we ought to have with God. That's the fear that the writer has when he says, oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder Consider all the world our hands have made. I see the stars. I hear the rolling thunder. Thou power throughout the universe display. And he says, after I see all of that, when I see everything you can do and all the power you got, he says, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great. That ain't phobia. That's all. How great. How great. I believe I believe my brothers and sisters I believe God is calling his people back to a place of honor and a place of reverence a place where we knew that God is great and greatly to be praised I believe that God is calling. I believe God is still looking for a worshiper that can still worship him in spirit and in truth. I believe that God is still longing for those who will enter into his gates. Y'all ain't hearing me. I believe God is still longing for those who will enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his 
courts with praise. I believe uh, he's looking for somebody who is really thankful unto him and who will uh, bless his name. I believe that God is looking for somebody who knows that the Lord, he is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures all. Are y'all hearing me? I believe that God is, are y'all hearing me? Because of that complacency, God shut up for 400 years because uh, they no longer honored him. We see God silent for 400 years, but you read chapter three, he made a promise there. He says, I'm going to send a messenger to prepare the way. Are y'all hearing me? Yeah, 400 years, nobody said, heard anything from God. God said absolutely nothing, but all of that ended over in John when it said that was a man. Are y'all hearing me? Yeah, all the way from Malachi to John and in the book of John, there was a man who was sent from God. Oh, don't get ahead of me. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness of the light. Are y'all hearing me? That was John the Baptist. Yeah, he came bearing witness of a true life that would light every man that comes into the world. John came to introduce what Malachi called the messenger of the new covenant. Are y'all hearing me? 400 years, God shut up. But when he came back, he came back uh, with a plan. Yeah. And that plan was uh, yeah, a new covenant. You want to know what the new covenant had in it? Yeah. That new covenant says, uh, if thou will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised uh, him from the dead, uh, thou shalt be saved. Yeah. John says, I'm not the light, but I came bearing witness of the light here. And I come today celebrating because I know the light here. I know who the light is. Not only do I know him, I've come to trust him. I've come to love him. That light that was born in Bethlehem, that light that died in my place, that light that was buried in a borrowed tomb, but that light that got up yeah, early Sunday morning uh, with all power uh, in his hand yeah. and I don't know about anybody else uh, but I stand amazed yeah. I'm still amazed uh, by his grace yeah. are y'all hearing me after all of this time I'm still amazed by a love that looked beyond my faults and saw my needs yes so when I I show up it ain't just a ritual yeah when I show up yeah it ain't just cause mama came yeah when I show up I come because I stand amazed in his presence yeah when I think about God's goodness yeah when I think about all that God has done for me I live my hand I live my heart in praise yeah Yes, 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 I'm glad, I'm glad that the love he's put in my heart. I don't need a cheerleader yeah, to tell me when to stand up. Yeah. I don't need a cheerleader yeah, to tell me when to wave my hand. I don't need a cheerleader yeah, to tell me to talk to my neighbor. Yeah. But when I think about 
goodness and all that he done for me my soul my soul my soul my soul cries out hallelujah Come back. Gotta come back. Gotta come back. Gotta come back. Honor him because of who he is. Thank God for what he's done. We've got to come back to honoring him because of who he is. That's what I'm calling on us. I'm calling on us as we enter into a brand new year to learn how to honor him because of who he is. If he never pays another bill, he's still God. Y'all hear me? Never buys you another house. He never gets you another car. He's still God and he is worth it. So, when you come to offer to him, you're not coming to offer to him based on how good he been and how much he done. You're offering to him because he's God. Because he never changes. Because his mercies are new every morning. Here, today, unsaved the word of God is clear if thou will confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead thou shall be saved today what better time than the beginning of a brand new year to start off anew to give him your life you messed up. You messed up. You've not done a thing with it. Give it to him. If you're here today, let him take charge. Give him control. Jesus, keep me near the cross. There, a precious fountain. And it's free to all a healing stream that flows from Calvary's mountain. Somebody ought to be moving. If you're unsaved, come. If you're already saved, if you're already saved, don't have a church home come today.